Here in Orlando, Florida, O-Town Compost is leading the composting revolution, recycling organic waste into a nutrient-rich resource. Join Charlie Pioli, founder of O-Town Compost, as we hear from the nation's leading voices behind the grassroots community composting movement. Welcome to the Community Composting Podcast. Please rate and review on whichever podcast platform you're listening to. If you feel like this is good content and you're learning a lot about compost. Hi, welcome to episode number 29. Today I have Lynette Sobel with Fertile Earth Worm Farm based uh, currently in Davie, Florida, which is like South Florida. Oh, um, Lynette, where would you say you are based? We just bought a farm and we're now located in Homestead, Florida. Okay, so that's a recent uh, development. Um, with this new farm, what what currently is your service area, if you don't mind to ask? So right now we could travel from Homestead all the way up to West Palm Beach. And uh, we're hoping to uh, start servicing the Keys too. Cool. I don't think any community composters are down in the Keys because it's very spread out, but... Are, what keys do you think your guys are going to go for? I mean, the closest, I mean, would be to work with the upper keys. So Key Largo, mm -hmm. uh, Isla Morada, um, that area. I would love to do something in Key West, but that would be more like setting up like a facility down there. Yeah. And just for our uh, non-Florida listeners, Key West is like how far from the tip of Florida from Miami? It's about... Um, well, when I would go, usually it's about a four hour drive for most places in Miami, three and a half, four hour. That's the same distance as like Orlando to Miami. That's super far. Mm -hmm. I mean, miles wise, it's really, I think it's a little bit over like a hundred miles. I want to say it's like maybe 115, but, um, it's not, uh, it's slow going, you know, it's mm -hmm. a two lane highway. Right. Uh, yeah, so with Fertile Earth Worm Farm, I want to know more about how you started in this community composting uh, industry and, you know, what, how'd you get into it? Oh, that's a rabbit hole. Uh, yeah, every couple of years, if somebody would tell me, if somebody would read my future, I'd be like, no way, I'm not doing that. Really? I'll be doing that? So yeah, this was definitely not something that was uh, that came about planned. Um, I was actually working as a visiting researcher with uh, Dan, Dr. Daniel Miroff from Florida Atlantic University. And we were working on best management practices to green hotels. And we got the opportunity to do a couple uh, garbage dumpster dives. So we did some waste audits. Mm -hmm. And it was funny because before the first waste audit, I was so excited the night before I couldn't sleep. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> And it was, it was, yeah, it was super fun. But what we discovered was that there was one ton of organic matter coming out of each hotel room. At the time, there were 20,000 hotel rooms, in Miami Beach, you know, in a seven square mile radius. So that's a lot, 20,000 tons per year. Um, just, just I wouldn't the think that hotel rooms would produce a lot of organic matter. What kind of items were coming out of people's hotel rooms? Well, I mean, so we definitely, you know, we had some food waste and this is this, you know, a lot of the food waste is coming from the restaurants, but to quantify it, we were oh. quantifying it per hotel room. And there was a lot of uh, organic, you know, yard debris. I mean, just yard debris in general because of the landscaping. So it was a combination of yard debris and food waste. Oh, okay. So the hotel overall was producing a lot of organic waste, but you guys were breaking it down like the per hotel room uh generation basically exactly because this was a, a federally funded study and so we mm -hmm. had to you know quantify things so um so when we saw that there was this much organic material that was just going to the landfill we were like okay so let's do something better with it and discovered that there were no other options except to send this stuff to the landfill so we decided to create one and that's where Fertile Earthworm Farm ah, okay. was born. Great. And who besides yourself uh, was there at the beginning? So we have a totally different team from the team that we had from the beginning. Um, at the beginning, I also co-founded a 
nonprofit called Fertile Earth Foundation back in 2008. And a lot of the, uh, uh, we're mostly ladies, but a lot of the ladies that were helping with that also um, helped with the, with the worm farm. And three of us um, launched a worm farm back in, I guess it was like 2000, I wanna say 12, we launched a worm farm in Homestead. And, um, and that one met a uh, interesting demise. We were uh, overrun by flatworms, which are invasive worms from Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. the South Pacific. And nobody knew about them. Uh, UF didn't have any information about them. Um, it's funny because the official sighting, like the first official sighting in South Florida was in 2015, but we obviously found it like way before then. It was like 2011, 2012. And my worm farm mentor at the time, he knew what they were. And he told me like what was going on. And he like, and, and we tried to get the worms out, you know, using trauma screens. But at that point it was like too late. Like the, the flatworms had, you know, wiped out 97% of our, our worms. Wow. Yeah. And so... So yeah, that was a, a bummer to say the least. So then we decided to move to another farm, like also in Homestead, but I just lost the fire. It was like, so it was going so well. Um, we were rocking and rolling with the worms and, uh, and it's just, it was a lot of uh, trials and tribulations. So we intended to restart it, but then I decided to go back to grad school. I was like, you know what? Let me take a real, like a break from the real world and go back to grad school. So that's what I did. I left Miami for, almost seven years. I did grad school for like five and a half, six years. And then I spent a year like helping out with my dad's stuff in DC. And then I came back in 2020 and we relaunched it again. Oh, okay. And uh, I assume the worms you're using are the red wigglers? Yeah, so that's the one that we primarily use are the- Okay. And how how much of your food waste that you process is processed by worms which i consider very slow eaters and but you know what does your processing look like for fertile earth so right now since we we just moved a couple months ago like actually all the worm beds are disassembled and so we need to buy a shipping container or some other structure house them. we need to protect them better from the flatworms because when we uh when we put up the worm beds in Davie, like in 2020, we also got an infestation of flatworms again. Wow. And uh, we don't know how to get them out. Like once they're in the system, like they just go to town. They, uh, they're not only um, able to produce, reproduce asexually, they're, re- well, sexually, they're able to produce asexually too. So both asexual and sexual reproduction. So like worms, they're hermaphrodites. So just, by that fact, their populations can explode. In addition to that, they can break off pieces of their body and grow a new head in 18 days. Wow. So <clears throat> they outcompete the earthworms. Little tiny flatworms will take down huge earthworms. They inject a uh, digestive enzyme that basically melts them from the inside and they suck out the juice and leave the worm to die and they go on to the next one. So they're extremely, extremely um, uh, problematic. And so we thought we had protected the worms uh, in Davie, but obviously we didn't do a good enough job. So now we are are doing things a little bit more slowly and carefully and really, uh, really trying to um, create a system that we're not going to have an issue with flatworms again. But I already found flatworms on this property and flatworms are everywhere. Like they're just everywhere. So they're mm-hmm. here to stay. And it's just something that people need to be aware mm-hmm. of if they're trying to um, worm farm. And you guys seem like you're a pretty uh, deal with large volumes of food scraps. Um, how many pounds or how many tons per week are you collecting and composting? So we do between, um, it's probably about, it's probably about 50 tons a week at the moment. Wow. That's a lot. And, yeah. And it depends on the week. Cause obviously it depends on how much food we get from our clients, but 40 to 50 tons, I would say. Mm-hmm. Per week. And you guys have like bigger contracts, like industrial plants. And I, I think I saw that you guys compost from the Marlins, Miami Marlins Stadium. Yeah, they were our first client, the Miami Marlins. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. So we, um, we work with supermarkets like Whole Foods Market. We work with um, a hydroponics farm, a commissary for, for, uh, a juice 
a franchise, a juicing franchise. Um, so we focus on large scale producers. Um, we want to get even more large scale producers, but uh, we do right now we collect the food using 65 gallon toters. And the, there are entities out there that produce like way more food waste than like a Whole Foods market would, but we um, need to service dumpsters. So we have a, um, we're waiting for a truck. <clears throat> and with the whole COVID thing, I mean, we've been, we put a down payment back in September and we probably won't get it until like April if we're lucky. But that's so like um, a front loader. Are, are you looking for a front loader? This is, um, it's a truck that's specifically designed to handle food waste. Mm. Um, so it's like um, a modified, I'd say, dump truck more than anything else, but it's, it's specific for food waste. And right now, our garbage truck is also like modified to handle food waste, but um, it can only service the coders. Yeah, and me and you have had a lot of prior conversations about that uh, rear load packer garbage truck, you, you called it. Um, that's like, yeah, that's really awesome that you guys have something like that. Can you just talk a little bit about that and like how you acquired, um, you know, that truck that can probably move like 10 tons at least per load? So the truck we currently have is a heel. We did a bunch of research before we bought that truck and we landed on two companies and, um, and heel recently had released a modified version of their regular garbage truck. So we have a mini 13 yard garbage truck that's modified to carry food. Um, and we decided to go with that one versus um, one from Brown industrial. And uh, right now actually we're, uh, we have a Brown Industrial truck under contract. So the next truck we get will be from Brown Industrial because what we realized with the heel is that, I mean, food is very different from into solid waste and just modifying a garbage truck doesn't really work very well. Right. I mean, it works and it's, um, I mean, it's been doing the job, but um, food is very uh, heavy and very wet. Mm -hmm. You get a lot of moisture and, um, and Minnesota solid waste is usually very light, like bagged you know, so garbage trucks really aren't meant for that. And so the modification that it has helps, like it, it has a modification that it can hold more um, liquid than a regular garbage truck. However, <clears throat> the back of the truck, liquid will accumulate. And if you have too much liquid, like it could technically slosh out of the back of the truck. So mm -hmm. we've had situations before where like we've done, you know, we've serviced uh, very, very like wet, uh, like fruits, for instance, and it becomes just fruit juice. It's just a mass of fruit juice. And we actually had to make multiple trips instead of just one because the liquid load was too high. Uh, um, the other thing that like it's modified for, it has a like a throttle button at the back that brings extra power to the cart tipper because our carts are 65 gallon carts and they look like they're recycling containers with the wheels and the lids, but they're slightly smaller because food weighs a lot and they're sealed on the inside so they don't leak. Um, but these carts can weight, can weigh 400, 500, even 600 pounds, depending what's in it, right? And, which is not the case if you're just dealing with municipal solid waste, you know? Right, right. It could be like 40 or 50 pounds, so. That's a piece of advice to any community composters. Don't go any higher than 65 gallons. If you try to mess with the 96 gallons, um, that's just like unfeasible sometimes. So. Yeah, it's just too heavy. And even the 65 gallons, like we have to tell our clients, it's like, don't fill them up all the way to the top because things are going to spill out. And it's just, it's just too heavy. Like if somebody put 100% meat in it, that's 600 pounds, mm. you know, but we work with a, uh, a juice company. And so they give us very packed, like dense juice pulp. And that, I mean, you know, the throttle button doesn't even work all the time with that. So we actually literally have to shovel out maybe 20% before the throttle button will even be able to tip it into the back of the truck. So these are like uh, any of the reasons why like the truck doesn't make sense. Um, also to the sides, the way that the, the packer blade like moves forward and back um, allows for food to get trapped. 
like in there. So it's like just more difficult to clean. It's, it's not, um, it works, you know? Are you able to get into the hopper and like clean it out if? Yeah. Oh, and you that's are. What that's what we do. We get into the hopper after we've like unloaded all the food, we'll get in there and then with a, with a hose, we'll just hose everything down or like a light pressure washer. Okay. Yeah. Um, we like have a park in easy dump. It's just like a normal pickup truck with a three cubic yard kind of dump um, container sitting in the body. And it also, it has the ability to switch between hydraulic dump. Uh, when we get to the compost site, we just dump. Or it has the, a Bane tipper on the back that is rated for 400 pounds capacity. But, you know, we keep it greased. It still is probably maxing out at 300 pounds. So we really can't afford to have, you know, <clears throat> we go to Chipotle our 64 gallon bins are filled with <clears throat> rice and avocados. And I have to take like a, a ice cube scoop and like lighten it in a little bit before we're able to like tip it into the back. So yeah, you're, you're so right about that. Um, what, what is the truck that you guys are gonna, you know, what is the next stop on your truck route? So we're going to go with the Brown Industrial Body. They have a like a Wabo, I believe it's called. And those really, it's like a dump truck that's modified for food, to handle food. And it can service dumpsters and it can service uh, toters. Depends on what uh, attachment we get on the back. But um, we really want to go into servicing dumpsters because what we want to do is um, make the most impact. And to us, the most impact is working with commercial establishments. And the bigger the commercial establishment, the better. The more and volume out of the landfill, right? Exactly, because our mission is to really revamp the way waste management is handled in the United States and in the world, you know? Yeah. So we really want to revolutionize like this antiquated system of take, make waste and make it circular, like nature intended. We're not smarter than nature, you know? Nature created this long before us. So it's a resource to us and the food ending up in the landfill. When I found out, you know, how landfills are actually like made and what happens in landfills, that was like an eye opener. I was like, what? <laughs> like, I know it's just like, uh, it's like a it's land that is contained by plastic film on all sides. And it's just a, a box that just like can never be used again you know, in our lifetimes and generations to come, it's horrible. But so I've never seen food waste collected in a dumpster before. Uh, you're talking about like containers, like 20, cu 20, 30 cubic yard containers? No, 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 it wouldn't be. It would be probably oh. like three yards max, like two to three oh. yards. Still, you know, not optimal, but it's better than... Um, you know, the equivalent of what, nine toters at a time. But just to go back to the, to the landfill thing, um, this was like 12 plus years ago. I actually got Miami-Dade County solid waste officials to admit to me that our landfills are leaking. Oh, wow. The leachate, and we have a very high water table here in Miami, right? You can dig down in some places and you'll have water. And, um, and I was working with a professor from FAU, Dr. Daniel Miroff, who is uh, an expert in wastewater treatment. And he's been working on trying to neutralize leachate for like years. You know, these plastic liners are made to last like maybe 50 years and then they start breaking down. And yes, they're monitoring the water, but what good does that do if the leachate gets into the water supplies? And if they're blocking out water and air, so they're trying to make an, an, an aerobic system, like the only moisture that really comes from the food, which trickles down, picks up the heavy metals and then becomes this toxic leachate soup. So, um, and the fact that there are places that have already lost their access to their own water supplies because they've contaminated their aquifers because of landfills, oh, because wow. of this leachate, because of the food that they're putting in the landfills that's creating the leachate. I mean, to me, that, that's what was an eye-opener. And so I just wanted to, to mention that. So yes, mm. of course, methane gas as well, you know, different estimates from what I've heard anywhere from 30 to over 100 times worse than carbon dioxide as greenhouse gas emission. And yeah. that's because, you know, food too. But, um, 
but especially here in Miami-Dade where I know the landfills are leaking already. We have a very high water table. We have access to like spring water basically is water. Like we, we're very lucky. Like we don't use surface water. We have aquifers. It's just not, it's just a shame, you know? Yeah. Like, like we can't keep doing business as usual. And then our other alternative here is to incinerate. And what's, what's more um, terrible to incinerate but food? You know, the amount of energy that goes into burning something wet, it doesn't make much sense. So that's why we're here. And that's why we want to change the way things are going. I have a daughter, mm. you know, it's, it's a crazy world right now. And, uh, and we want to make the most impact as possible. So that's why we focus on commercial. And that's why we're trying to, to do the dumpsters. And then back to the dumpsters, like, yeah, I mean, even, I mean, you know, a two or three yard dumpster is gonna weigh, you know, could weigh like 3,000 pounds. Yeah. Or, you know, could weigh, um, man, it could weigh 4,000 pounds and up. So you still have to be very conservative, I think, when it comes Would to- Would you be doing the processing of the material you collect? We do. Okay. Wow. So you guys are comprehensive um, collection and processing. So that means you kind of got to hold your customers accountable if there's too much contamination, because I mean, you're dealing with it. Um, what are some of your methods to work with your commercial customers on contamination? Because commercial customers are you know, eons worse than residential, in, in my opinion. For sure. And that's, I mean, shoot, we're still working on that. You got ideas for me? That's awesome. Because, I mean, we're still working on that. We, um, we also have a contract with Chipotle. And they're notorious for contaminating stuff. And, uh, right. and we've been, you know, we send them pictures. We tell them, hey, you know, this is contaminated. We need to fix it. And, uh, and unfortunately, not much gets done. Um, we work with Sweet Greens. They're a little bit better. Okay, so it sounds like you work with Rubicon. It's the third yeah. party waste broker. And I actually just had a conversation with uh, Nate Cooper, their organics guy, last night. And okay. he kind of like walked me through the best way to approach commercial customers who are contaminating. Because the last thing that corporate wants or Rubicon wants or we want it's just to throw up our hands, say, this is too bad. That's enough. So basically they have like emails, uh, Starbucks or Chipotle at Rubicon.com or organics at Rubicon.com. And, you know, it's best to just reach out to them and kind of um, let them know what the issue is so that they can reach out to corporate and that way that one store location hears it from not just Rubicon, not just the composter, but also like the, the corporate in charge. Does not, as of yet, seem to have made as much of a difference. Um, so you have emailed the Rubicon and the, the corporate. Yeah. Yeah, many times. So, um, so yeah, that's the route that we've been using. However, it hasn't been like terribly productive. As you start to take on more food scraps, you realize very quickly that you need a better composting system to process the material. This is why I highly recommend the aerated static pile micro bin designed and made easy by O2 Compost. In 60 days, I have finished compost without putting in the labor of turning the pile. The piles heat up to over 140 degrees, killing pathogens, weed seeds, and fly larvae, making the end product safe to use in the garden. With 32 plus years of experience in the compost industry, Peter Moon, owner of O2 Compost, is a leading expert in the field of ASP composting. I encourage you to set up a free half an hour consultation with Peter Moon by going to his website, www o2compost.com. That's the letter O, the number two, compost.com. If you mentioned that you heard about O2 Compost on this podcast, you'll receive a 10% discount on the purchase of the Microbin Compost Training Program. So just to pick up 
it sounds like you use Rubicon Global as a you know third party waste broker. They send you know composters, haulers, um, all these kind of corporate um, businesses who are interested in uh, hauling food waste and. They have an organics department that's kind of like Nate Cooper is the head of the organics department at Rubicon. He's really great. He sits on the board of U.S. Composting, Composting Council. But he also, you know, wants to make sure that there's dialogue in between, you know, the the corp the corporate business and the composters. Uh, previously. Chipotle had written into their contract that there can be like no mention of the composting program. There can't be any, uh, the composter can't even make their self known to those people in the, in the businesses, but they kind of pressured Chipotle and told them like the benefit of having like that dialogue back and forth. And now you know, us composters can go and give a training to a Chipotle if we want. Um, you know, heck, they even like ask us, what is the pricing if we're going to go give our trainings? So, you know, it just sounds like Rubicon, you know, sure, they're a giant business as well. And, um, you know, they, they operate too slowly for me and you probably because, you know, if we get ex uh, contamination this week and we notify Rubicon and they take a few weeks to get back to us, that's like three more weeks of contamination. So, yeah, but my methods for catching contamination is I have <laughs> I have the manager of each store on speed dial. So I, I constantly um, text them like, you know, good job. Like at the end of every month, I'll text them the month's pounds so that, and I'll tell them, tell your team you've composted 3,500 pounds this month and tell them great job. Um, alternatively, I'll send pictures of the contamination and, you know, it, it doesn't work. You know, we still get plenty of contamination, but I imagine if we were just anonymous composters, we would probably just be getting mostly trash, so. Yeah, I mean, Chipotle is, is right now the worst offender, like for us. Um, and I have offered to do um, trainings and only one um, sweet greens took us up on the offer. But having worked in that restaurant, like hospitality industry, I know that there's a lot of turnover. And mm -hmm. so, um, especially when you just open up your doors. So <clears throat> it would be like a constant thing, uh, which I have no problem with, but um, yeah, we haven't found a solution. A lot of the stores haven't been interested in having us come um, and do a workshop. And part of it the, might be- Sorry to interrupt, know. but the best time to do a workshop is like for a restaurant, they all usually meet before the restaurant opens. And if you're able to just tell the manager, hey, can I take five minutes in the morning meeting to just go over the compost program? Like that's usually the best thing. Sorry, yeah, sorry to cut you off. <laughs> you know, and thank you for pointing that out. And I'll probably go back to them. I guess uh, I got a little, I was told, I believe that Chipotle wasn't allowing any outside vendors to train. That so, was what I was told too, but I just heard from Rubicon last night that now it's uh, it's open. Okay, okay, good to know. Thank you for that. Um, I also feel like in Miami we're a little behind in terms of sustainability, and we have a hard time recycling, and so composting is something that a lot of people think like, oh wow, we can't get recycling right. You want to compost, you know? So. I feel like we might be uh, just a little bit, well, not maybe a little bit, we're, we're probably less aware as a community, as a culture versus like other cities and states, municipalities. I think the whole state of Florida in general, I mean, we're kind of, you know, we're, Florida has got a lot of diversity, people from international, people from all over the world, 
Um, and then you just got like, you don't really have the infrastructure in place for recycling or composting. I mean, here in Orlando, we don't have a MRF. The closest MRF is like an hour drive either way. Wow. So yeah, I think I think you're right. And that's why recycling is highly contaminated. Composting is slightly contaminated. But the cool thing is me and you have the ability to kind of set the tone and uh, make sure we don't go down the same route as single stream recycling did, where it's kind of like, throw it all in here, you know? Um, and also, I just, I feel like, um, you know, obviously, I don't want any contamination. But if, you know, if a couple latex gloves end up in there, you know, it's, you as a composter, you kind of have to know your tolerance and, you know, you can't be a zero tolerance for contamination or else you probably shouldn't get into composting because uh, it's just not realistic. Yeah, and I agree. Um, the next, like we just moved to a new space. So we just, uh, we have a farm now in Homestead, as I might've mentioned before. And, uh, and I'm really exploring a different process. And of course, part of that process will include a better way to decontaminate the food that we do get. Because right now our drivers, of course, if they see it on top, they pick it out. Once it goes into the truck, they see it, they pick it out. But they're not gonna see everything. When we get back to the farm, out some more but it's a constant process and at the end we have a sifter that sifts you know hopefully everything out and it actually does a pretty good job at the end like we only really get the some of the stickers mm -hmm. and, uh, and then we have another process well while it's sifting usually somebody is their, their job is just to pick out the fruits. really yeah. wow that's epic yeah so i mean we we want to have the best compost down here and i really think we do um, our stuff has like amazing, we've gotten amazing feedback from it. Like the test that we've run, it, it's just like amazing. Like, but we want it to also be clean. And yeah. so even though, you know, you're not going to get the trash that you will get if you go to another place and get local compost and that local compost is just made with yard debris anyway. And it's not very nutrient rich, nor did they really take the time to process it correctly. They didn't take temperature measurements. They didn't follow you know, best practices for making compost. They didn't use food, so it doesn't have all those nutrients that our stuff has, um, and it's full of trash. Mm -hmm. And and so we want, one of the things that we want to do is create the best thing you could possibly get down here, which, I mean, I, I'm, I'm proud of what we've done. And, yeah, and just to go back, you, how many uh, tons of food waste are you processing per week? It ranges from like 30 to 50. And we're so probably- what is, what is your calculation? Like how much compost does that result in per week? I mean, that's hard to say because we've also moved around a lot. This is our fourth move in two years. And so, and we've done different things with the compost. So not all the compost becomes like finished compost. Like some of it we fed to the worms. Some of it we for like other purposes before it gets to the end. So I don't have a good answer for you, to be honest. Okay. I have some calculations, but they're not like terribly, I would say like accurate. And of course you have volume reductions as you compost. Um, and then the worms further reduce everything if we fed it to the worms. So I don't have a good answer, but I- I mean, I, in just a rough ballpark, I would say like, you know, um, a third is what come is the result of compost. Um, but yeah, you're right. There's volume reductions, but there's volume increases when you blend it with uh, carbon material. Um, but you know, I would I would say like a half or a third when it's all said and done. But that's incredible. Like that, you guys really. Um, you know, you, you hang your hat on your final product and you're, you have like steps in place to pick out contamination. Uh, when we have our own composting site here in the next year, we'll also, 
you know, our drivers will catch contamination at the source, skim off whatever is on the top or what ends up in the dump. And then, you know, when it dumps out, we'll have a step for catching contamination as well. And then uh, the last step would be during the screening process where you probably catch a lot of contamination that you didn't, that made it through. Um, and then just every day, probably litter pickup on the site. We use compostable bags, but you know, if they're not really deep in the pile, they just dry out and we treat them like litter. And, um, and I did, I heard that Atlas Organics, who's really making some moves in the compost industry here in Florida, that they actually have like robots. So <laughs> their material goes along a conveyor belt and they have robots picking out um, this stuff and then recording data. And Rubicon, you know, with their Smart Cities truck app uh, for garbage men, um, they do like a curbside organics program for the city of San Antonio. And uh, basically they're able to get, they have like sensors in the truck's hopper so they can con catch contamination in the hopper. Um, and the driver doesn't even have to get out of the driver's seat, really. So it's kind of like an automated side loader. But imagine if Rubicon's robots could communicate with, um, you know, Atlas Organics robots to kind of like see where the contamination is coming from. That way you can still have that ability to know where it's coming from, reach out to those people to try to curb it. Because that's the problem with automated side loaders, not uh, the driver not getting out of the truck is they don't get a look inside and catch contamination or see if the resident or customer is just throwing crap in. So yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. So yeah, I mean, you're crushing it out. I didn't even realize how much you were doing, but you are, you went straight for the commercial, which makes sense. Um, do you kind of, you know, recommend any uh, composters in your area for residential or do you some, do you handle that at all? So we used to, Fertile Earth Foundation, um, we started the first residential composting service um, maybe like five or six years ago. And, um, and this is when I was in grad school and that executive director, she, she did a good job, you know, for a couple of years, but then she, she got burnt out and she was, uh, she just, she decided to stop and we didn't restart it again. And since we came back a couple like little, uh, you know, companies have popped up. Um, I like renewable. So if anybody asks me, I refer them to renewable. There was another lady that I'm not sure if she's, if she's doing much anymore, but there was another lady up in Cooper City, Davey, that also had a residential composting program. They tend to like pop up and then die off. So mm -hmm. some people tell me like, hey, I wanna start one. And what I let them know is like, they can be our client. Like if they don't have a place to process the food, that's okay, you know? You accumulate all of this residential food in one location, we provide you the toters, and then you become a stop on our route. And that's right. how, the residential the other thing that we um are going to be doing and we haven't because um you know our, we've moved so much but now since we have a permanent location we're going to be setting up a compost demonstration garden and that's a place where the community can come and compost their own organics but in the process also learn different ways to compost mm -hmm. banana circles papaya circles a sub pod a green solar cone um, uh, you know, uh, like a warm urban worm bag, like all of these different things that they can do, whether they live in an apartment or a house or have a yard or not. That's, that's awesome. That's a great idea. We want to educate because the thing I find also really interesting about composting is it's, it's empowering, mm -hmm. right? Like we don't have to wait for a Murph to show up that can service us. Like we can compost ourselves right now. It doesn't matter where you live. I used to live in South Beach. I lived in an apartment. I didn't even have a balcony. My worms running into my kitchen sink, <laughs> you know? So, and nobody knew unless I showed it to them. There was no smell. Yeah, there was no smell. smell. There's nothing. Um, so 
to me, I find that super empowering and to be able to show people what you can do like on your own, that you don't have to pay anybody to do it. If you're interested, there's many, many ways to do it. And, um, but also too, if you don't feel like doing it, then you can come to us and we'll, we'll do it for you. And supporting the residential people because it's a very different operation, I feel like. If Why do you think the residential people start up and then peter out over time? Ooh. Well, I mean, it's a business. So the majority of small businesses fail, number one. So they fail to plan. A lot of it too is you're dealing with very, very small amounts, but spread out like all over. Right. So, um, your efforts are really to accumulate these very tiny amounts in potentially like kind of large areas. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that translates obviously into a small amount per pickup. So I feel like the people that have the most success are when they really focus on like one area and maybe it's just an apartment building and they get five people or 10 people in that apartment building and they grow it from there. Mm -hmm. And then look for the next apartment building that's right next, like right in that area. And then the next one. And I feel like that makes more sense for logistical reasons. I also feel like especially here in Miami, there's not much open space. There's not much uh, opportunity to compost material you collect. When we were doing the uh, Fertile Earth Foundation was doing the residential composting pickup service, like we actually helped start the um, community composting drop-off location at um, the Botanical Garden, Miami Beach Botanical Gardens. Like we were, we helped found that. <clears throat> and that system filled up really fast. And soon she had to go find someplace else and then that place filled up. So it's, it's also a matter of like, where do you process the stuff? Like, do you have the space? Do you have the land? Do you have the labor? Do you have the, the, the trucks? Like we started this whole process like with five gallon buckets too in a pickup truck. But- yeah, Great way to start. Yeah, like, like I think most people start, but- I started it, with a Camry to be fair. <laughs> Yeah, and well, I mean, and the truth is like Melissa Salem, who was our executive director during this like phase, like she, yeah, she had an SUV, like she put it in the back of her truck. So, and then also to funding experience, I think all of that like plays into it. Yeah, I think you're right. Route density can make or break you. Uh, don't try to expand too far uh, when you're young. I mean, I learned that the hard way, uh, but of course, you know, we were all right because we had two, you know, service areas that I would call our bread and butter. You know, we really had good route density and we tried to expand to the rest of Orange and Seminole County a little too quickly. Really bad route density, but it, the, good, the good service areas kind of well, were able to support the bad service areas. And fast forward like one year, those bad service areas are starting to get more density. Of course, they could improve a lot more, but um, yeah, now, now the bread and butter routes, um, you know, we're, we're at the point where we need to probably split them up just because there's so much. It's, it's taking a driver more than eight hours a day, so. That's cool. And what, what do you think makes an area into a bread and butter area? <laughs> um, I would say geographically, you know, we take like our major road here that goes kind of through the center of town, Colonial, and it, and it um, you know, we stay on one side and on the other side is the other bread and butter route. And um, I think what makes it is route density, just having, you know, a number of stops, residential stops relatively close by. So you're not driving more than like, you know, five, eight minutes to the next stop at the worst. Uh, <clears throat> also something that we've done to make our routes worth it if we get a new commercial customer, we're, we're not necessarily, we don't necessarily give all our commercial customers the 32 or 64 gallon totes. Sometimes we give them uh, like a 12 gallon 
organics bin and we swap it for them when our driver arrives. And sure, that's annoying because it's very heavy. Our driver has to lift it into the back of the van. We have to take it back. We have to wash that with our buckets. Um, but it, um, it definitely, that revenue from that one commercial customer far exceeds what the, the residential customers are you know, contributing. So it's a way to make a route economical uh, when it otherwise would just be like a handful of spread out residential customers. For sure. Can I ask how much you charge? Uh, residential or commercial? So residential, we, we just increased prices by a couple of dollars due to the inflation. And now we charge $32 a month for weekly pickups. And uh, for biweekly pickups, it's $24 a month. Uh, commercial is a, a lot more complicated. Um, but, you know, we've been told by Rubicon that we are definitely on the higher side of other composting companies. So, you know, I, and also I saw that is we're the only composters in town. So, you know, we set the tone and my goal is to make composting like a utility in town alongside trash and recycling. So, you know, composting isn't just this like fun, quirky thing that, you know, businesses are doing with their food waste. It's, um, you know, it's really necessary to keep the, the organic waste out of the landfill. And if, you know, we look for ways that we can provide our commercial customers benefits, whether that's social media shout outs, give them all the credit for doing it. Or, you know, sometimes uh, they, you know, we do provide consultation to help them reduce like their garbage collection costs. Um, but so far, that's not as big of an opportunity. That would only be a big opportunity for like a restaurant, um, a large volume kind of business. Definitely not our office clients or anything like that. So that brings up an interesting point. Back in the day before I started this, I was doing sustainability consulting for hotels mostly. And one of the opportunities I saw was that a lot of these places just assumed that they had to pay waste management, like a waste management bill. And they didn't have recycling. They, they really didn't care about the whole waste thing, but I would analyze their bills and I would be able to let them know, it's like, hey, add on cardboard, add on recycling. This was also a different era, you know, where you could actually get money for your cardboard. I don't know what it is now because I haven't been in the business for a long time, but I could reduce their bill significantly and make them more sustainable. And that's, that was part of what like I offered as part of my service. So. That's and, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, I actually did that um, too in my old career as a waste consultant. And um, you know, sometimes it does make a lot of sense for specific types of business um, to add cardboard or single stream recycling um, and it's just a little difficult because most businesses don't pay attention to their trash. So by doing a waste audit, you can kind of like shed light on something that they don't even think about. And, uh, and then you can like, I even picked up the phone and called all the garbage haulers and tried to negotiate like low prices um, for them. So yeah, that, that's a great point. And that would be a great addition to add to any composting service. For sure. And out of curiosity, do you, are, you, are you able to save any of your commercial clients money or are they doing it because, or why are they doing it? They're doing it for, they see the greater good or are they doing it for like marketing reasons? Like why do they become your customer, your client? Yeah, we have been able to save like a couple restaurants money, but that isn't the main draw. Uh, I, I don't even really focus on that when I'm trying to sell um, our service. 
I think the biggest one is, you know, I think we are just pretty, pretty um, strong and active on Instagram and social media, where we really try to bring a lot of positive attention to our customers and also our community as a whole. Because, you know, if it's one person, that's like 11 pounds a week. But at the end, you know, at the end of the week, it's like, a, you know, five tons. So that sounds way better than 11 pounds. Um, we provide pound reports. We provide compostable liners, free delivery. Um, and, we, you know, I spend a lot of time when I go out to these commercial customers kind of thinking about things like how are they going to relay the food scraps from inside the building to outside where the containers are? Because if that's, if they don't have a plan for that, if they don't have specific bins uh, that are lightweight, not overly heavy for the staff, if they don't, if they have plastic liners instead of compostable liners, like that could be a real issue. So it's really, I think, just yeah, trying to put myself in their shoes, but we're kind of at the point where it's like we're getting a lot of word of mouth and our, we're definitely not composting as much as you are, probably one fourth, but it's pretty much we're not really having to do many sales right now, at, at least until we get a bigger composting site. Cool. And what do you do with the final product? So right now, um, I'm kind of, my business partner is kind of the, the composting site processor. And, you know, we bring it back to our warehouse. Um, we bring about three cubic yards at a time back to our warehouse. We sell it by the cubic foot um, for about $15 a foot. And then we also do our give backs in the fall and the spring. And then, um, we're, we're at the point where without controlling our composting site, uh, you know, my business partner pretty much controls that, you know, we're not really too involved in the final product. Uh, sure, we will sell it at a small scale, but as far as delivering bulk compost, it, we're, we are not doing that because we don't have any like input into the process. You have no input in the process? Yeah, we don't really have any input in the process because uh, it's his property. He's like 11 miles away and he's not really interested in having us come out and do, um, you know, be a part of it. So that's why we're kind of treating it like he's kind of treating compost like it's more of an art than a science. But once we start our own composting site, um, we're going to definitely treat it like a science, monitor temperatures, take samples. I think it's both art and science in the end. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. It should be a little bit of both. So when, are you, when where's your new site going to be? And you're going to do everything by hand or? No, we'll, we'll have a skid steer and like a concrete pad um have like underground asp pipes and hopefully a, a method to catch leachate um with the pipes um it'll be at the four roots farm which is like this 20 acre nonprofit farm here in the center of orlando and it will host visitors like every week and uh, I'm designing it to be able to process 15 tons of food waste a week, which is not too challenging with the FDP registration law. But what's challenging is it's a little close to a body of water. And I need to, like, technically food waste can't be within 200 feet of a body of water in Florida. So I have to figure that one out, but um, nope, it'll pretty much be like mechanical. Do you use a skid steer or what do you use? There's no way we, we could do this by hand. Yeah. Yeah, we have a, the biggest one I could get. <laughs> yeah, and do you mind if I ask like how uh, Fertile Earth 
you know, funds? I know you guys are a, a business, but is that how, like, how did you gain that capital to kind of purchase the trucks and stuff? Little by little. Like, we've been in this game for a long time. Well, not a long time, I guess, but we've been in this for at least, like, 10 years. Okay. Just saving money, just doing things. We started, like, very simple. Like I said, five-gallon buckets and a pickup truck, and then we moved to um, a box truck. And then we realized that box truck was too big and we reduced the size of the box truck and we had toters and the lift gate. And, um, and then from there we moved to um, the garbage truck that we have, but little, just little like incremental steps, little by little, like just saving money, saving money, making a little, making a little, making a little, growing a little bit, getting like, you know, one more client, getting another client, getting, you know, yeah, uh, just, you know, just organically growing. Like we didn't get any outside funding I didn't, um, I what didn't about, know. what about when you signed up for Rubicon? Cause last night, uh, they just sent us a list of like 20 Starbucks in our service area and I want to take it on, but what would you recommend? Cause honestly, we would have to start two new commercial routes and we would have to find more processing capacity. I would say like, have a plan. Like don't jump into it without having a plan. Mm-hmm. And if you need to go slow, there's no, no, you know, go slow, go slow to go fast. That's mm-hmm. one of my notes. go slow to go fast. Like do things in a manner that you're not shooting yourself in the foot, that you're not having to redo things or waste time, et cetera. Just think about it and plan it out. Cause we, we got offered um, to do all the Chipotles in South Florida, which were 41. It didn't make sense for us. The amount of that they were offering us was not what we needed to make it sustainable. So, I mean, my background is, I like math. I, my, my undergrad is I'm a finance major. So I crunched the numbers and I just figured like, you know what, I would love to do it. Just, I, you know, it, this doesn't work for me at this point in time. So, and if you need a get more capital, whatnot. Like you just need to figure all of that into the situation. And I would say if you're at all um, hesitant about it, I mean, that's fine. Get other people's opinions, get people that know more than you in terms of business or finance or whatnot to give you input and, and go slow to go fast. Yeah. That, that food will still be there. Once I feel like in the last couple of years, too it's like I like I left Miami for seven years and I went to grad school and I had the business before I left and then I almost lost it I came very close to like declaring bankruptcy and I had one like my second semester in grad school I was doing a I was in a doctor of plant medicine program at the University of Florida I had a weird semester where like half my like classes were actually in the second half of the semester so the first half of the semester I had a light load and I just went at it and I landed three Whole Foods market contracts. And wow. that's what saved me. Otherwise I was like, you know, game over, I'm out. <laughs> and, um, and so, and from there, you know, it's gone like up and up. And I guess it just depends. Like I have changed my opinion too about outside investors and loans and all that. And although we haven't taken any outside investor money right now, it's like we're, you know, opening up to that. Would you potentially let uh, equity investors take over a minority or majority share of the business? Yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you something too. Like I had this question because I've been approached like numerous times from people like saying that they want to invest. And initially I was like, no, 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 I don't want investors. And uh, I went to a peyote ceremony and that was my question that I had for the medicine. It's like, what should I do? Like, should I be open to this? And immediately the answer came and I was like, yes, like be open to it because you can get where you want to get much faster with mm-hmm. Right. And so I've been exploring that and not everybody's like the right fit. And that's why we haven't accepted right. an equity investor as of yet. We almost did. We came very close to it. And, um, but I'm not opposed to it. I think it's, it would be great to get somebody on board that has skills that I don't have and can bring in sweat equity as well as, you know, actual money into like the equation and really make this grow because the bigger 
and faster we grow. And this is what I got from the grandfather medicine. The bigger and faster we grow, the better it is for the universe. Like the better it is for Miami. The That's more how I feel too. Yeah. So it's not, a, it's, not, it's not a bad thing to grow. I just feel like do it smart. Otherwise you might crash and burn. That's so funny because uh, over the weekend, I got some ongos to kind of do the same thing. Um, this, you know, kind of ask a question to the, you know, someone more powerful to, you know, see what I need to do to really make it bigger. But it's, yeah, you're just like me. Like we care so much about this uh, organics recycling. And I truly believe that, you know, the community composters should really aim to get big because the problem is so big. There's so much organic waste out there. Um, you know, it's at any level, it's, it's worthwhile, but, um, you know, the earth really needs a massive <clears throat> solution. So hopefully you do find a good fit, um, not just like equity investor, but uh, a business partner who is also uh, sweat equity invested too. Yeah, absolutely. Because we're in it not for, I feel like at least I can only speak for myself. I feel like I'm not in it for me. Like I'm in it for something much bigger than just me. This is much bigger than me. Mm -hmm. This is really something that if I die, on my deathbed and I know that I helped change the way that we process waste like I will have died happy yeah wow Lynette we're in the same state we should like we should um figure out a way to kind of collaborate somehow whether it's just like more of these meetings to kind of um share ideas but yeah because that's what exactly what I'm trying to do is change the waste industry and uh, make composting a utility, which ultimately changes the culture, changes how people view organic waste as a resource and not as trash. But yeah, it's, it's definitely heartening to know that there's someone else out there, um, just four hours drive. So yeah, that's awesome. Let's take over Florida. And yeah. Then world. <laughs> You handle the South, I'll get the Central. <laughs> I like the Caribbean, so I'll be there too, in Central America. Oh, in I heard, America. Um, so Honduras is in your future, or is it Honduras or Guatemala? What about it? Oh, so I saw on Instagram that uh, you had some like upcoming announcement about fer Fertile Earth in... Oh, yeah. So, well, yes, I went to Guatemala for... For Thanksgiving, which is gorgeous. I love Guatemala. Um, and I have been delaying, and maybe this will be the official announcement, but I have been delaying announcing that we moved and that we bought a farm and that we're in Homestead. We're no longer in Davie and that oh. our own personal, like our own space now that it's permanent. That's awesome. And we can do whatever you want with the land. It's a gorgeous property. It's covered in trees also some ornamental trees so we you know we got to sell a whole bunch of trees but um but no it's exciting but I've been delaying too because I also wanted to like sit with the land for a bit and meditate on like how to make it into the best vehicle for what we're doing as I can and I also want to make it into a healing and a wellness space as well not just just solely composting and healing I mean, he, I mean, what we do, I think, is healing. Of course, it's healing the earth, but it's also healing ourselves. But even go further than that. I've just been meditating on that and getting little opinions from one person here, inviting one more person here, one person here, and then just formulating something in my head, watching where the sun rises and sets and the birds and the insects and the animals and the trees and whatnot, and just uh, trying to figure out how I want to really like maximize this beautiful gift, in my opinion, that that I was able to, to acquire. Yeah. And it's been tough. I mean, it's, you know, it wasn't like an easy process to get by any means. Like it took way longer than I thought it would be. The real estate market is so ridiculous right now. Um, and it's been, it's been like a lot of like ups and downs, but, um, but yeah, like, so this is official announcement. 
All right. Well, this podcast will probably come out in a few weeks. That's uh, when the announcement will come out. But yeah, that's awesome. Before, because every day we're like, announce it today. We're gonna announce it today. But yeah, (laughs) but it's one of the first announcements. Let's put it that way. All right. Well, it's been a, a extreme pleasure talking with you. And um, yeah, let's definitely keep in touch. Um, I've really enjoyed these conversations. So have a good rest of the day and keep slaying food waste. Yeah, no, thank you, Charlie. Thanks for having me on and thanks for fighting the the good fight and doing what you do and keep at it. And we'll get there. We'll get there one day. Well, my next step is to get where you're at. So. Yeah, well, my next step is to get way further because mm. even 60 tons sounds like a lot. When I calculated it out, it was 0.04% of what Miami-Dade, South Florida actually produces. Yeah. So, I, a lot to I don't even want to do that calculation, but... Well, we're on the right track, I think. Yeah. All right. Have a good rest of the day. All right. Thanks, Charlie. Bye-bye. If you enjoy the Community Composting Podcast and want to support future episodes, please follow the link in episode show notes to give a small monthly reoccurring donation, even if it's $5 to $10 a month. We'll continue to come out with killer content to keep the grassroots movement rolling.